Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Yes, folks, welcome, welcome, welcome to Tell Me Everything with John Fugelsang right here on SiriusXM Progress. I'm Democratic strategist and progress contributor Max Burns, and I'm sitting in for John tonight. But we have got an amazing show for you on this very, very busy Wednesday evening. They've all been pretty hectic. You know, I guest hosted this show back on the 8th, and it feels like a thousand years have passed since then. It is Wednesday, February 21st, 2024. And if you have not been paying attention, it looks like the alarm bells are finally sounding over at the Trump Organization. The clock is ticking on that Trump payout of $450 million in court judgments. That's $355 million for his business fraud case and then another $80 million in change for his first and soon-to-be second E. Jean Carroll defamation lawsuits. And word on Wall Street is that the Trump Organization doesn't have that kind of money floating around in cash. So we could soon be on the great Trump sell-off train. I'll tell you, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. And we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. Now, as always, I'm going to be here with you for the next three hours as we break down the biggest stories in our political world along with a healthy dose of all the important news that fell through the cracks this week. And there was a lot of it. Now, of course, all through this, I'm going to be taking your calls at 866-997-4748. That's 866-997-GRIT. So give me a call and let me know what's on your mind. All right, how about we get some quick headlines? Let's watch your appetite for the chaos ahead here. Alabama. Anybody seen it? You've been following this news out of Alabama, the state Supreme Court there effectively declared a theocracy across the state. They ruled that an embryo is a legal person. It gets the full protection of the law, the same as a child would. That means that any medical professionals that perform in vitro fertilization or fertility treatments with embryos can be held criminally liable for manslaughter if that procedure doesn't work or if the freezer stops working and the eggs go bad. This is crazy. I mean, it's not hypothetical either. Because today, the University of Alabama at Birmingham suspended all of its IVF procedures out of fear that their doctors and their nurses could face prison time under the current reading of the law. So no more IVF, no more fertility treatment in Alabama, no more abortion. At this point, the embryo has more legal rights than the woman it's inside. This is exactly, exactly what Democrats and abortion activists and women across the country said would happen if Roe versus Wade was overturned. Republicans said, no, 
This isn't going to be some crazy war on birth control and fertility treatments. This is just returning abortion to the states. Well, look where we are now. Alabama essentially going full Ayatollah on us here and writing, as we'll, we'll mention here, in the actual opinion that the uh, Supreme Court justice handed down, reads like something out of biblical study. I mean, it quotes the Bible at length, not a mention, of course, of the Constitution. But in this new MAGA Republican world, that really doesn't matter that much. All those Republicans who said that this was, was going to be okay, I'd like to see them explain this. I think they should be put in front of cameras at every single opportunity and asked to explain exactly what just happened in Alabama. Because you'd be forgiven for thinking that the church is just running the state now. Anyway, Republicans aren't out of the water on anything this week, really. And hopefully what's the last gasp of the Hunter Biden scandal? We just found out that one Republican congressman, James Comer, is in fact an idiot. Stop me if you knew that one already. Now, one of Comer's top witnesses in this whole Biden bribery scandal, it turns out, has been working with Russian intelligence all along. That's probably the least surprising development I have ever heard in my life. But Republicans on the Hill are just ignoring it. They're just going to keep moving. Even though the actual witness now explicitly admits that he was fed information from Russian intelligence agents. I mean, this isn't something that DOJ speculates. He said it under oath in an interview. Fact is, Republicans either knowingly are involved in pushing Russian propaganda, or they're so desperate to hurt Joe Biden that they'll believe anything that anyone says that paints Biden negatively. Either way, these Republican dopes have once again opened the door to a major national security risk. So congratulations, James Comer, I guess. And last but not least in our headlines here, uh, looks like Donald Trump is running out of campaign cash. The Drudge Report has this story up on their main page, and that's wild if you remember how Republican the Drudge Report used to be. It reports the Trump Save America PAC raised only about 8000 bucks in January. 8000 Not 100000 not million, 8000 while spending almost $4 million. And almost all of that went to pay Donald Trump's lawyers. God, you absolutely love to see it. This is the slow collapse of a candidate so worn down by corruption that he just can't outrun it. It also explains why Trump is so eager to install Lara Trump as the head of the RNC. Because as she said just last week, the one job of the Republican Party is now to provide money for Donald Trump. Listen to this, A2. If I am there, I will make sure that every single penny donated to the RNC goes to electing Donald Trump. And again, extending our lead in the House and taking back the Senate. Amazing. I mean, truly, no party building, no grassroots efforts. Thank you, Chris, by the way. Chris, again, I'm throwing him off by announcing these out of order. But Laura Trump, he doesn't care about the RNC that's fighting for swing seats. The GOP's one and only task now is to help Donald Trump pay off his criminal penalties. And I'm sure all those endangered Republican members of Congress are just thrilled to hear this. I'm just thrilled. All these congressmen in New York who are about to lose their seats by narrow margins are going to be so glad that Laura Trump spent the party's money on Donald Trump. Now, friends, if you didn't guess from that, I'm in the studio here with the brave souls who keep everything here running. And that is an especially tough challenge when you have me behind the microphone, as you see. We've got Chris Hosselt, executive producing the show tonight. Thea Harper producing from Brooklyn. 
and I am coming to you live and in full-dimensional stereo from Manhattan, where Trump-branded properties are now petitioning to remove the Trump name from their buildings because it's hurting property value. I feel like there's a lesson in there somewhere, right? Now, I said we got a really great show for you tonight. I was not kidding. I hope you'll stick around until midnight. Give us a call at 866-997-4748. That's 866-997-GRIT. And I thought we might do something a little different tonight because we have so much to talk about. I want to take this whole hour as an open forum for your calls. And this time, I really will try to get to every caller. We've, we've had some trouble, but I appreciate it. Then in the 10 p.m. hour, I'll sit down with Amanda Moore for the latest update on the madness of the alt-right movement. Amanda will be coming to us from CPAC, which we will also talk about in just a minute. But the uh, the lineup at CPAC is a little bit uh, Latin American dictator heavy this year. So we'll see. And rounding us out at 11 is every town for gun safety's Nick Suplina, who's going to talk to us about why gun safety laws are still winning big in the states, even if the mainstream media is done talking about it. Now, I'm whipping through the top of the hour here because we only had time last time for one milestone, and that just broke my heart. And as it turns out, February 21st is a pretty surprising day for milestones. Well, let's dive right in. It was today in 1848 that two guys in England made sure we would spend the rest of history arguing about a book basically no one alive today has read because the Communist Manifesto was published today, 176 years ago, by Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels. Now, I want this committee to note for the record that I am not and have never been a communist. But you don't need to be a commie to see the huge ways Marx's book and ideas have shaped politics, not just in Europe, but here and around the world. It's Marx's core idea that still shakes things up today. The idea that class conflict is the core mover of political culture. And that over the years, we've seen that become a more and more abstract idea that everyone eventually claims for their own in some way. I mean, from the socialist Occupy Wall Street protesters who camped in Zuccotti Park during the financial crisis to Donald Trump's MAGA minions. I mean, think about it. Donald Trump's movement really is the story of class-based grievance. They view this story as one of an elite political class exploiting the working class so they can get rich. And you hear a lot of that Marxism from Donald Trump, even though he would never say that out loud. His entire campaign is based on the idea of restructuring government to get rid of these bougie coastal liberal elites and build their own kind of MAGA classless society where everyone is equal under Trump. And you see it played out on the left in calls for universal education, for better working standards for everyone. You see shadows of it in Biden's big stand with the United Auto Workers and the huge resurgence in labor organizing we've had these past few years. And no, guys, don't call in about that. I'm not calling Joe Biden a secret Marxist. I think we all know better than that by now. But Marx's work really did change the way that we think about and talk about politics. And in doing that, he prompted one of the great ongoing debates in history. Now, interestingly enough, in 1885, spectators in Washington, D.C. also got their first look at the completed Washington Monument. You can tell I don't really do bridge material. And as, as a former D.C. guy, I love this. The Washington Monument, the big pointy thing, it's on my short list of America's best phallic-shaped monuments to dead white guys. 
This project had been slated originally for completion years before, but construction was interrupted by the minor distraction of that gigantic civil war. One thing I really like about the monument, if you get the chance to go to DC and look at it up close, it actually contains three different shades of white marble from three different places because construction kept getting interrupted. To this day, it's still the largest stone structure in the world and the world's tallest obelisk. And for a few years before the Industrial Revolution, it was actually the world's tallest structure. But it got beaten out by Gustave Eiffel and that big tower he built in France. But hey, let's not get insecure about it. We know America's number one. The New Yorker published its first issue today in 1925 and continues its legacy of publishing really unfunny cartoons to this day. And a few decades later, in 1947, Edwin Land debuted the first Polaroid camera, which the New Yorker actually reported on at the time. So you have Edwin Land to thank for the fact that our whole society is addicted to selfies and Instagram filters. And oh, here's one for me. I know I've talked about this before, but I have a soft spot in my heart for Richard Nixon. John and I have talked about this a lot, but I think if he just kept his hands out of the Watergate cookie jar, Nixon would probably be remembered today as one of America's most effective presidents. And it was today, February 21st, 1972, that Nixon went to China for his history-defining meeting with Mao. Nixon's visit shook the world, not just because it opened China to American trade at a time when China was one of the poorest countries in the world, but because it drove a wedge between China and the Soviets that the boys in Moscow never really got over. Imagine that, the time when Republicans actually believed in standing up to Russia. Boy, things have clearly changed. Nixon's visit set China on the path to becoming the second largest economy in the world and America's biggest strategic rival, while the Soviet Union slid into irrelevance and collapsed. And if you think I'm being too nice to Nixon, don't worry, because just three years later, on this exact same day, Nixon Attorney General John Mitchell and his former aides, H.R. Haldeman and John Ehrlichman, were sentenced to prison for their role in the Watergate break-in. So there, there's some good Nixon balance for you today. You got to take the good with the bad. Mostly the bad, though. The guy was a drunk and a total racist. Let me know if I missed any milestones you're marking today. Give us a call, 866-997-4748, before the break, and we'll talk about them. In the meantime, there's a lot of current news going around, but I want to jump to the phones really quickly. I want to chat with Mike here in Michigan, because I did not mention maybe Donald Trump's most interesting news of the week. Mike, how are you? Uh, good. Good to talk to you, Max. Great. Great to talk to you. What's on your mind? I, I hear you have some thoughts on Donald Trump's big new business announcement. Yeah, the uh, the gold shoes. I think they're going to really sell. I mean, The golden shoes. Golden shoes are he's selling. And uh, that's a really good thing because he's going to need it. Even, even the Drudge Report was saying that uh, uh, about his, he's running out of campaign money. Okay. Uh, and they only took in $800,000, okay, in the month of January, but that was only for the campaign fund. The other $4 million went to uh, Trump's uh, lawyers. Yep. So the gold. Yep. Oh, he's burning through money like crazy. And you think, yeah. do you think the shoes are viable? I thought at first the idea that idiots would buy $300 gold spray painted Trump brand shoes was stupid. But then I looked at this GoFundMe 
the Stand with Trump GoFundMe that's raised almost a million dollars to help him pay his his uh, judgment. So what do, you, what do you think? Is this a viable thing for him? I think, uh, well, he's got a lot of dunderheads that are following him along that uh, uh, do anything. You know, they'll sell their house to get money for him, I think. Uh, that's how far it's it's you know it's started out with uh Harley Manson you know and a few people to kill people and do some dastardly things then then you had uh, Jimmy Jones in Guyana get 960 people to well commit suicide with cyanide their kids too and uh now you got a guy named Donald Trump leading a parade down to uh the capital, and they're not blaming them for it. You know, I, I just don't now understand you are, how they get. A- yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And you're in Michigan, which is, you know, was was a Trump flip back in 2016. How do things look there? How are you out seeing things? Are you seeing Trump signs? Is there still as big a following up there as Newsmax would have us believe? Unfortunately, uh, it's half right because well, there's couple there's a couple guys one guy took his sign down uh there's still some on the corner down here on my own block okay and i'd hate to be his neighbor you know i mean (laughs) it's just ridiculous i mean he's a nice guy i've met the guy before he's a nice guy but he's totally deceived okay and it's it's just uh i think it's going to take a revival to change these people's minds. It's uh, it's quite amazing. It may. It uh, may well. I appreciate your call, Mike. Uh, I, I think that's true. I think there is a lot of people who have cult deprogrammers, professional cult deprogrammers, who have said that people in the MAGA movement, people in QAnon, that's some of their toughest cases to deprogram. I mean, these are people who take long-term work to bring back to reality. There are families, you know, we... It's easy to joke about the MAGA movement being these these disconnected cult idiots, but a lot of families have lost family members, are no longer in contact with loved ones because of this MAGA movement. They have divorced themselves from people who don't agree. They've isolated themselves. They often are living in places with lots of other MAGA people. That's a scary thought. That's a really scary thought. Yeah, I tell you what, you mentioned China and Nixon, and I was overseas when that was happening. Uh, I was in the Navy, and uh, uh, it was quite an interesting thing because I took the train to Shanghai. That's as far as you could go back then, Uh, you know, Mm -hmm. at the edge of communist China. I almost fell asleep on the train anyway, but uh, thank God they got me off. But uh, there was... uh, depictions of hanging Nixon, okay, in these little, like, little red square things. I, I walked in. I hear a Navy uniform. I walk into this with a big Buddha thing of a Mao Zedong. <laughs> so I go up, and I went in, and uh, they had some interesting things. They were having a farm or what was it, agricultural uh, exhibit and proud of their big agricultural progress, progression. It looked like they had tractors, okay, pictures of tractors from 1938, 
in, in the pictures. But anyway, uh, it was interesting, and I think it was a good thing that we open up. I think communications is the only answer. And, and I feel bad that the uh, uh, equal time rules aren't still in effect because I think we need to bring them back. We need to hear both sides. People are only hearing one side. I okay. absolutely agree. I, I mean, at the time, and 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 we're going to have to to jump. I do appreciate your call, Mike. Thanks so much for talking to yeah. me. But um, you're you're right. I mean, the fairness doctrine was done away with, and what have we seen since then? We've seen a complete imbalance of information in the United States. We've seen exactly what a lot of people suspected would happen: is that large, well-funded corporate, mostly right-wing owned media outlets have now monopolized the entire national conversation. I mean, it gets to the point where even the, this business model even begins to influence the so-called left-leaning outlets. MSNBC, I mean, you turn on the, the news, a lot of the time you'll see a panel that is all Republicans, even on a so-called liberal network, because everyone is chasing this financial model. I mean, it, it is a really terrifying and disturbing thought, because what we're seeing is that they have enough money to pay out $700 million dollars in defamation judgments, and to continue lying. Nothing stops them. And they take the First Amendment of our Constitution and the protections for the press that were designed specifically to allow press to tell the truth without fear. And they abuse those. They use them as a shield to defame people, to drag people like Hunter Biden over Russian lies. That seems worrisome to me. And I don't know that there's an answer. Now, I want to jump to a quick break right now. When we get back, I want to dig more into the big story of the day, this Russian agent, and we'll take some more of your calls. You're tuned in to Sirius XM Progress. Stick around. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey all, Glenn Kirshner here. Friends, I hope you'll join me on my audio podcast, Justice Matters. We talk about not only the legal issues of the day, but we also talk about the need to reform ethics in our government. Here's one example, the oath of office. You know the one. I do solemnly swear to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Let's add 22 words to that oath. Quote, and I will promptly report any instances of crime and or corruption by government officials and employees of which I become aware. 
friends, our democracy is worth fighting for. Join us in this fight, because justice matters. Look for Justice Matters wherever you ordinarily find your podcasts. Michelle, folks, you're listening to me, Max Burns, here on Tell Me Everything, sitting in for John Fugelsang on this very eventful and very beautiful New York Wednesday. I want to share a milestone someone just shared with me on Twitter. It was today, February 21st, 2022, when Vladimir Putin declared the Luhansk People's Republic and the Donetsk People's Republic, really just an elaborate way to break some chunks off of Ukraine. Both of those regions voted, heavy quotes there on the word voted, to leave Ukraine after being attacked and occupied by Russian forces. Not exactly a free choice. Remember, you can share your milestones with me and give me a call here. You can tweet me at Burns. Or give us a call, 866-997-4748. That's 866-997-GRIT. Now, as promised, I'm going to tell you about the Russian agent. I'm digging into this story. This is the evolving saga of one Alexander Smirnov, the FBI informant who the Department of Justice now says lied about Hunter Biden after being fed misinformation by Russian intelligence agents. Those are the bad guys, if you're a Republican listening to this. And this isn't just the Department of Justice speculating. Smirnov admitted this in his testimony to them. Now, in case you're hazy on this story, and I don't blame you, Smirnov is the source of that confidential whistleblower report on Hunter Biden that sent Republicans into a huge frenzy. Smirnov was the guy who told the FBI that Ukrainian energy company Borisma paid Hunter and Joe Biden five million bucks each in bribes. This is, of course the main argument Republicans are using to try and impeach Joe Biden. But as it turns out, those claims are totally false. Nothing. Oof. They're created by the boys in Moscow to create some chaos in American politics. Republicans bit that hook deep. The Department of Justice describes Smirnov's relationships with Russian intelligence assets as, quote, recent and extensive, end quote. And they were still ongoing, too. Agents say Smirnov was planning to meet with his Russian handlers on an upcoming foreign trip. So this isn't something that happened in the past, and we're just finding out. This is Russia actively working with an American asset to try and meddle in the 2024 election. So what does that all mean? You'd think something like that would be pretty damaging to the Republican case, right? No such luck. Here's Jimmy Jordan dismissing concerns about Smirnov's lies on Capitol Hill today. Let's play A6. Doesn't change the four fundamental facts. Hunter Biden was on the put on the board of Burisma, gets paid a million dollars a year. Fact number two, he's not qualified to be on the board. He said so himself in an interview, I don't know, with you or, or some network. Fact number three, Zolachevsky and Pazarsky, the two executives at Burisma, specifically asked Hunter Biden, can you weigh in with D.C. and help us deal with the pressure we are facing from the prosecutor? Fact number four, Joe Biden, then, then he gets called. Hunter Biden calls his dad, according to Devin Archer, Hunter Biden's business partner. Fact number four, Joe Biden then goes to Ukraine three days later and conditions the release of the money. American tax money on the firing of the prosecutor who was applying the pressure to the company that Hunter Biden set on the board of. You, you, you said the 1023 is the most corroborating piece of information it you have. It corroborates, but it doesn't, it doesn't change those fundamental facts. So now but it's not true. 
Yeah, I think Jimmy Jordan there has a little trouble with the word fact. About the only thing he said that was true is that Hunter Biden probably wasn't qualified to be on that board. But listen, if we're going to start holding congressional investigations into who's qualified to hold their job, pretty sure Jim Jordan's on the chopping block first. I mean, the DOJ is putting Smirnov on trial for lying to the FBI as part of a foreign intelligence operation. And you'd think that would be the end of it, right? You'd think that would be clearly a sign that this was a mistake. But no, now Republicans say this is all just a big international plot by Joe Biden and the Illuminati and Zelensky. Like, what are we talking about? Why does this still get air? I even question my own decision to, publo to publicize this further because it's nonsense. Trump is calling it another Russia hoax. James Comer says he's going to continue the impeachment, even though all the evidence for that impeachment is now fake. It's mind-blowing stuff. You really got to wonder what the motivation is. But here's the really, really important thing to remember about all this. Once again, Republicans have aligned themselves with Russian foreign agents who are actively and very, very openly trying to undermine American faith in democracy and remove the president of the United States. We don't have to guess about that. It's right there in the documents. These are public records. Even reporters now finally finding their voice and just telling Jim Jordan that what he's saying is a lie. I mean, there's no longer any doubt that Vladimir Putin has captured the GOP, right? There's nobody who stands up to Vladimir Putin in this party. Even Lindsey Graham, the chief Vladimir Putin critic, bending the knee now because Donald Trump wants him to. Vladimir Putin sort of knows now from experience that Republicans will take any help they can get to bring down Joe Biden. And they aren't above using information they know is coming from the Kremlin. It's not coming from people they have been told were foreign agents like Alexander Smirnov. Months and months and months ago, Congressman Dan Goldman, Congressman Jamie Raskin, both said to James Comer, to Jim Jordan, to the speaker, I can't remember who it was at the time. I think it was, was uh, not Mike Johnson. But all said to him that this was a Russian asset, that the intelligence community understood this man to be not credible, that he was lying. You hear me getting flustered about this. I'm amazed about this because the media has spent weeks talking about Joe Biden's age. And now we have what may be the biggest and most direct evidence of Russian infiltration, not just into the election, but into our Congress in history. And this isn't even front page news in most of the newspapers across the country. I was watching CNN and MSNBC today. I saw three stories about it the entire day, total about 10 minutes of coverage. People in the media complain that nobody in America focuses on big policy issues anymore. Well, this is the policy issue. Alexander Smirnov's Russian lies are a national security threat. And every single Republican leader ate those lies up without even asking if they were true. Don't think I've forgotten about Chuck Grassley. Chuck Grassley, the man who originally brought this to people's attention, who really stood behind Alexander Smirnov as the guy who was going to prove Joe Biden was corrupt. Where's he now? Where are the questions for him? Chuck Grassley's phone should ring off the hook. I mean, it makes no difference, honestly, in my opinion. Let me know if I'm wrong. If Republicans were actively working with Russia or if they just bought the lies because they helped Donald Trump. 
the outcome is the same. The outcome is that they cannot be trusted with power. They are too reckless or too compromised to represent the American people well. I'd like to hear anyone in the media say that. Let me know what you think about this whole Alexander Smirnov case and the GOP being once again buddy-buddy with Moscow. Give us a call, 866-997-4748. That's 866-997-GRIT. Let's talk it out. That's how we get to solutions. I'm going to jump to the phones here. Carl's, who has some thoughts on Dan Goldman as well. Carl's, how are you? How you doing, Max? I'm doing well. Okay, What's I on your mind tonight? One, I, I got to tell you, one of my favorite congressmen, I mean, I'm here in Miami, and you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a progressive through and through. I'm a fighter. And I am, you know, definitely up in arms with um, the way that we do fight as Democrats. But I love Dan Goldman. As, ever since he has came to the to the House, he is on fire, man. Don't, don't, don't play with him. And one of the things that he tried to point out to Alex Wagner tonight, you know, not too long ago on, on our show was, um, you know, the Russians, I'm sorry, the, the Republicans, if they keep this up, if they keep, the, um, you know, um, going after Biden with this fake, uh, you know, this false information from, from from Russian intelligence, then they too, he can go to the, uh, we could go to the DOJ and say the Republicans are conspiring with Russia to interfere with the elections. I mean, that's simple. You know, and, um, and even if they claim that they didn't know, that the Smirnoff was getting Russian intelligence, they do now, you know? And one, and one thing I was saying, I, I'm not too crazy about Mary Garland. I'm not too crazy about the her report, but I'll tell you what, I would, I would replace Garland with Dan Coleman, but I'll give Garland a pass on her, and I'll tell you why. This is the only thing that's been bugging me, and, you know, I'll let you go. But with her... If for any reason that Merrick Garland had stopped him from releasing that report, then you'd have the right wing, you'd have it on Fox News saying that the White House is interfering through um, uh, through the Attorney General from stopping the her report. And what if we didn't stop it? What if Garland just redacted some pieces? Well, then guess what? They'd have been like, ooh. There's so much yep. salacious information in there. It's redacted. And they yep. could have made up 100%. And, you know, and they could have ran with it to the very end of the election. So in that respect, I'm going to give this to Garland. You know, I'm going to, because the greatest part, the best part about it is we all do see, I mean, we all see through the garbage. And we know what her wrote is, is garbage. And I'm pretty sure when he goes to the Hill to testify, you know, we'll make him look like a fool. But Besides that, um, I I think Biden is I, I don't think, I don't look at Trump as, um, as as somebody that's going to win even if he does get the nomination because we beat him last time and there's no way you're going to yep. tell me that you know as as as, um, as Democrats progressives that we're not going to stick with our guy and we're not going to fo- follow up on the vote that we that we all invested in four years ago now you we probably had some dissent dissenting um. Um, independents or former Republicans. I think those are the people that's making the most noise about, I won't vote for Biden again, but it's okay. We don't need all of them. And even if we, even if they all went over, 
I still know that we outnumber them. You know, so, yeah, I mean, well, we still up in forces. The only thing that that the Democrats that I'm that that's making me sick is we can't let them get away with the same, with them saying, you know, this is you know this country is fifty fifty. No, it's not. They always kick us off the rolls by hundreds of thousands, and that's the only reason why they have you know. And of course, they gerrymandered everything, and that's the only reason why they steal they steal some of these you know some of these um, seats, whether it's in the House or the Senate. Charles, I think you're you're absolutely right on this. Like, I think you're right on on all of these things so far. I mean, especially what you said about Merrick Garland. The reality is, this is what Democrats promised. We promised that if there was a report, you'd get to read the whole report, not this Trump stuff where they black out the reports or they hide it or they have a loyalist write it. We said you could read the whole thing, good or bad, and that's exactly what Merrick Garland did. That's what we should expect. But I'm curious, just in in a little brief time we have here before the break. I'd like to know what what about Dan Goldman excites you so much. I was actually a communications director on one of the campaigns uh, that was in that primary. So I had a lot of very heated fights with Dan, but I've had him on this show. I've come to really like Dan Goldman myself. Uh, I think he's been a very strong member of Congress. But I'm curious, what what sold you about Dan? And, and when did this when did this finally break through for you? I think from the very beginning, um, one thing about him, um, one thing about this Republican Party, the dishonesty, and I, I think I'll be quite honest with you, I'm not even sure if some of these uh, state, rep- I mean, these, these uh, representatives or, or senators are you know in the tank with the Russians, but I just feel like we need more prosecutors coming in as Democrats, people who are you know about their business, about the law, and wouldn't you know you can't intimidate them like that. Um, I even said. I'd rather him replace Chuck Schumer. I don't want a corporate Democrat as as somebody running the Senate either. I mean, to me, Dan Goldman is, it would be my Senate majority leader because they're all about business. They wouldn't put up with the nonsense. They wouldn't be intimidated. And if you know, if Republicans break the law, you know, these are the type of guys that will go after them. That's 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 what excites me about these type. You know, about someone like Dan I, Goldman. And that's a real. A real observant point. I think in a party like a Republican Party that's become this lawless, you have to have a party with prosecutors in it who know how to prosecute the law and to prosecute the cases against these people. I think that's interesting. That's a great point. Now, we're going to jump right to a break here because in the waiting room is my guest. This is the wonderful writer, political commentator, Amanda Moore, who is somehow coming to us in one piece from CPAC. And we're going to talk to her all about the alt-right and what's happening at CPAC right after this break. You're listening to Progress. Stick around. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. 
I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs, just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Friends, welcome back. You are tuned to Tell Me Everything right here on Progress with me, your humble guest host, Max Burns, sitting in for the great Mr. John Fugelsang. It is CPAC time again, ladies and gents, and that means all the MAGA movement's craziest idiots are all packed into one convention center. You QAnon theories and plan out America's march into fascism. I'm looking at the speakers list here, and I'll tell you, we've got some great acts this year. Elise Stefanik is going to give a speech, and she promises this time you'll barely see the Trump strings that are being pulled from backstage. Javier Millet, the president of Argentina, who's about to get impeached for being nuts, he's hanging out. Uh, the dictator of El Salvador, Nayib Bukele, is there. And oh my God, Liz Truss is there too, the former British prime minister who lasted like six days before they kicked her out. Amazing. I wish I could be there, but I don't really. My guest is, though. My guess for the rest of this hour is on the ground or trying to be because CPAC apparently just pulled some hijinks with her press pass. Amanda Moore is a writer and commentator. Her investigative work on the far right was a huge deal in the nation, has also revealed a far more complex and dangerous national movement than the media wants you to believe. And I'm thrilled that she's here with us to break it down. Amanda, how are you surviving the CPAC? I am hiding in a car in the parking lot talking to you with, uh, you know, my earbuds in. And I feel like one of those uh, far right chuds who does their little live streams from their car. You know, <laughs> I feel I feel like I'm really embracing the culture while I'm here. If you could do a fast food review while you're at it, we'll really just hit all the spots. Perfect. I'm going to start a TikTok, a far right TikTok, <laughs> just sitting Love here it. in this car. Yep. So I remember not that long ago, CPAC was pretty normal, like, I guess, as far as it goes. It was sort of conservative traditionalist Mitt Romney spoke. Now it's filled with Trump allies and dictators and a bunch of people under investigation for trying to overthrow the government. Is there anything you've seen that's really jumping out at you this year? So what's happening today is that usually CPAC, the first day, Wednesday, it's a couple hours in the evening. Mostly you pick up your press badge or your attendee badge. And then Leadership Institute has a little thing and then people just go get drinks. Um, today, this year is different. Uh, first of all, they took everybody, well, not everybody, but a lot of people's press credentials got denied today. Like they gave them to us and then took them away. Um, and then press not invited to the international event tonight and also attendees not invited. It was invitation only. So there's really... Not much to say so far, but what I can tell you is that they have a um, January 6th political prisoner booth <laughs> staffed by the uh, poor law souls who were held political prisoner for their uh, crimes against the country on January 6th. So that's that's the direction we're going. This Do they back. have merch? I don't know. I haven't been in yet. So actually, I'm being stalked by one of the guys who is... Uh, volunteering for it um so i'm sure i'm going to learn a lot about the booth tomorrow <laughs> unfortunately today i'm not quite sure i feel like they have to have merch you know because like january 6th had merch so why wouldn't this but i can't say for sure 
It did. There was a January 6th prison choir vinyl record, I think, singing singing prayers to Donald Trump, which I did not pick up, but I kind of regret it. Uh, and you've also had some trouble. Your press passes, you're getting the runaround here. I thought these were the free speech people. What's uh, What's going on? So what they did today was Steve Bannon went on live stream with Matt Schlapp and he said they basically were like, some journalists are cool because uh, they tweet that Biden is old, but other journalists don't do that. So if they want to come to CPAC, they can buy a press pass or they can buy an attendee badge. And I guess I haven't tweeted enough about Biden's age because I was one of the people whose, uh, whose press credentials got taken away. So I had to buy a ticket to be here. That is a pricey, what probably got to be the priciest asylum I can think of. But yeah. I, I'm thinking about CPAC here. It's taken on this sort of, it, it's impossible to ignore that it's become a Christian nationalist rally. I mean, a lot of these speakers are intimately involved in Christian dominionism. You've covered that community a lot. What are they hoping to get out of CPAC? That's a great question. And you know what? I'm not sure that they know because the only thing I could take away from like they didn't deny press credentials like we were all approved right and i live here but other people traveled to be here so the time your outlet pays for like a hotel and a flight they're just going to pony up 300 dollars, right you're not going to go anywhere so what i'm starting to think is that they just couldn't sell tickets so whatever they're trying to accomplish in terms of christian nationalism or trump cultism they're seeming to have some kind of struggle because it doesn't really seem like people want to be here and the people that have to be here for work, they're being charged. Um, so, I mean, I think that's like a positive, but like, obviously they want us to live in some kind of weird dictatorship where Trump is our God King. Um, but it doesn't seem super popular. <laughs> you mentioned you're getting stalked by somebody from this that's that's managing some of this. You've talked openly on Twitter about the threats you get from these people. And some of them are really scary. I mean, they're intense. Do you worry about your safety when you're in a place like CPAC? No, probably maybe I should. I mean, I think uh, being at the border was probably more dangerous because it's fairly remote and, you know, we're not in a hotel <laughs> with like security and police. We were just mm -hmm. kind of at a ranch. Um, but yeah, I mean, CPAC has police and there there's some semblance of wanting to like have a veneer of respectability and, yeah. and at the end of the day like the people who work for the, the marriott they don't have the grievances and even if they wanted to have the grievances that these people have they don't have the interpersonal knowledge um so if they see generally if they see like a group of men you know ganging up on a woman and calling her a slut for seven minutes on a live stream like happened to me last year um, generally, people who work for the establishment don't want that to happen. Never mind the CPAC people. Yeah. So you've written up really extensively about the alt-right. You've reported on it from the inside. If folks have not read Amanda's great piece in The Nation, she spent a year infiltrating the alt-right and really just broke their brains with it. Have you seen any of your former alt-right confidants milling around the convention floor? Um, not today. No. I mean, like I said, like a lot of people travel in, a lot of people don't even come until tomorrow. So there's really just not in terms of like what's going on at CPAC, there's not a lot happening today. Um, my understanding, mm -hmm. I know that at least some of them are here uh, in DC, they've flown out for it, but I think that they won't be on the show floor until tomorrow. So, but generally, uh, people recognize me fairly often. I've been recognized several times tonight. Um, not by what, people what that is the I response? Know. 
oh they 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 hate me <laughs> they don't like me um so people that i didn't know you know kind of are just like yeah like they'll say you know they won't say anything to me they'll generally kind of talk amongst themselves about me people that i did know or that were our friends with people that I knew will, I mean, aggressively confront me. That's, that's gotta be just a nightmare for you. I mean, and you, you've said you feel, you feel safe at things like this, but what sort of dynamic, how does that inform your work? Like when you're at CPAC, what is it you're looking for? Uh, are you, or are you looking for anything specific while you're trying to dig around and look for work there? No, I'm just, vibing i mean like whatever happens happens um these events are pretty poorly planned out like when i got the schedule when i was still credentialed and i got the schedule the links didn't work you know they don't have time to listen even like yesterday the breakout sessions were question mark question mark question mark i mean they don't even have all the speakers lined up so it would be i think extraordinarily difficult to really plan because they're not planning so how can you um but you know i tend to find that at these events, something always happens. Something egregious is said. Um, somebody, you know, acts completely out of line. There's always something. You have too many personalities in one space. And they're a little bit more welcome to say stuff that maybe they wouldn't generally say in public. And so it kind of creates its own its own little world where you know something will happen. So is there anybody that's speaking that you're especially interested in hearing? No. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't just care about and, any of them. I mean, just vibe like, at CPAC. There are going to be thousands of reporters across this country or across the world watching the live stream. I mean, anybody could watch the live stream. Who cares? Um, yeah. So it's never really been my my focus. Like, if I'm going to bother to show up to stuff. It's more, you know, the breakout session, sessions that are currently question mark, question mark, question mark. Maybe they'll be mm -hmm. very interesting. I don't know yet. <laughs> um, you know, maybe somebody will have a party or have an event. And that's kind of more um, what I care about um, than, than really the speeches. As with all conventions, it's the parties where all the scandals really happen. But 100%. I, I think that's, I, and I respect that. I, I respect that as a writer and a media that's so sort of overrun by superficial coverage. You don't just cover something because it happened, because somebody spoke. You're actually looking for the news. And that's that's a big difference from mainstream media. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Tell Me Everything with my guest, writer and investigative reporter, Amanda Moore. So I want to pivot just a little bit because you've been doing some great writing as usual. Your recent piece for The Daily Dot covers your trip to Eagle Pass, Texas, where the self-described pro-Trump army of God was making their big border stand. How was uh, the border? Man, there was a lot going on there. <laughs> yeah, you saw some weird stuff. I Tell our listeners some of the things you, you ran into. So at all of these events, they do baptisms. So traditionally, if you are the type of Christian that gets baptized, it's like a one and done deal. But not at these events. <laughs> you get baptized at every event. So it's, you know, 77 degrees outside. Uh, it's a little convoy. So people are sleeping in their cars in the heat. There's uh, not enough porter potties. I know because I looked up how many porter potties you should have uh, for people if they're going to be at your place for 48 hours. And the charts don't go that high. So I think the big clue there is don't use porter potties for 48 hour stays. Um, and they just all use the same like little like uh, trough bathtub of water and got baptized one after the other at the end of their little experience together. And so now everybody has pink eye. 
everybody has maybe even sepsis. I don't know. It's very, very disgusting <laughs> to be honest with you. Very gross. Um, and that kind of like, I felt like summed up the whole trip for me, just like watching these people like line up to get baptized for like, I don't know, the 10th or 12th time in some cases in their communal bathwater. And I imagine though, as you, you mentioned just from this, there's probably a large crossover between these truckers that are at the border fighting for Trump and the Christian MAGA movement. I'm curious what in what ways is that sort of influencing the politics of this? Well, the the convoy was definitely, it was a um, sovereign citizen event. It was organized by sovereign citizens who were also Christian nationalists. Um, and so that was definitely the theme. It was a revival. Um, and so a lot of this at CPAC, you know, likely will be too. Uh, we want a Christian nation, you know, all of that good stuff. Hopefully CPAC doesn't uh, pull out bathtub baptisms, but there's always next year, you know. Uh, match slap if you're listening i don't even charge for that kind of marketing advice um but i feel like you know they are so over the top uh at the convoy because there were a series of rallies across the country there were several convoys there was one in arizona the one i went to in texas and then also in california and they were so over the top that i feel like it was even a step too far for cpac which is really saying something and one of the things in your article i think that jumped out to me was you heard the, the sort of conspiracy theorist, I guess, is the charitable way to describe him, Michael Yan. And you caught his remarks. And then apparently he took notice of some of your tweets. So what happened there? Yeah, I just tweeted the video of him. Um, and then I got in my car and I drove to San Antonio where my hotel was. So, you know, an hour and a half drive from where we were. And I got out of the car and I looked at my phone and it was just a bunch of tweets from Michael Yan calling me um, anti-Jew, a Jew hater. But then also being like, look at her nose. You can tell that she's demonic, which is, hey, Michael, maybe maybe you're the one who is a little anti-Semitic here, not me. Um, and he encouraged his 171,000 followers to dox me, to tell him everything they could find about me. And that resulted in one of his followers uh, finding me in person and following me around and recording a video of me. Um, harassing me about Michael Yawn. So he has little minions that go out and do his bidding for him, I guess. Now, that's a lot. I think that's a lot to put up with. I mean, not just the weirdness of it, but the again, I keep coming back to the safety. And you seem pretty hardcore about this and, and unbothered. But it, it's, it seems like there should be some crime there in dispatching a mob to follow you around. I mean, is this just this just goes without remark at these events? Yeah, I mean, the guy was, like, so weird. Um, the video is up on, on Twitter. It's about five and a half minutes long. You know, he approached me, and he's like, why do you think that Michael Yana is anti-Semitic? Or why did you say he's anti-Semitic? And I said, because he is. I, I'm not engaging with you. And I tried to, like, you know, get rid of him, and then I walked away, and he followed me. And I didn't realize it at the time, but in the video, you could see the people that are near me when he approaches me follow me with him when I move away. And it seems hostile in the video, but in reality, um, you know, because I would not play into his game, he eventually gave up. And they came up to me and they were like, are you okay? And I said, you know, I'm a journalist, a liberal journalist. You know, I'm asking for it. It's fine. And they were like, no, men should never treat women like that. And I had other people come up to me and be like, that guy won't stop talking about you. And it's really weird. He's making me uncomfortable. <laughs> 
Um, so, you know, I think there was a little bit of policing, self-policing among attendees. But yeah, I mean, obviously the objective here is to make me leave the event. And I think that a majority of journalists, especially female journalists alone in a fairly remote area, um, probably would have left. Um, I thought the video was amazing marketing for me. I look, I look very cool in the video. Um, so that's good. But, you know, like, obviously the goal is to get me to go away and not come back. As long as there's marketing potential. And I it's guess such it's a good video. I, I look so cool, Max. You have no idea. <laughs> so the common thread, and we'll have to share this video out because now, now everybody's got to see it. But I think the common thread I noticed with CPAC now, with the MAGA movement, with these truckers, with QAnon, is this reshaping of what used to be just mainline evangelical Christianity into a Trump-branded religious movement. And I'm curious, as someone who has experience with this and has covered this, your thoughts on why, where that, why is there such a clear through line for evangelical Christians into this kind of sort of Trump cult? Do you mean like why did it initially happen like years ago? I mean, I think that there's, um, you know, I've talked about this before. I think like when you are evangelical, you have to learn to ignore a lot of social cues because your mission, your objective in life is to convert people to Christianity. It's to spread, you know, the word of God. And, and MAGA kind of taps into that. And so does QAnon, which is now like kind of um, bleeding into MAGA at a rate it has never previously done. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have to tell people what's good. So in the case of MAGA, maybe what you have to tell people is that illegal immigrants are invading the country with fentanyl, which isn't true, right? Like American citizens are who bring fentanyl in. <laughs> um, and it's not an invasion, uh, you know, but that's like, you just got to tell people that you it's compulsive. You can't stop. And, and bleeding into the QAnon, like you have to tell people about QAnon and how children are being trafficked. And, and no matter how off putting people find you or anything, uh, you just have to kind of keep going. And I think like kind of, kind of tapping into that, it sounds very, as someone who grew up evangelical, a lot of the cadence, a lot of the language, it feels familiar to me. And I think it's comforting to people and it kind of just, you know, um, it was already happening. The pandemic made it explode. I mean, in 2020, these people were having an amazing time. They were out all the time having their little protests, you know, having their little, we don't need a mask, you know, drinking extravaganzas. And it's kind of just, it's like if you were really good at football in high school, but you didn't make a college team, you got to relive those days for the rest of your life is kind of how it is, uh, I think. Grim. That's a grim summation, but accurate. And what's what's fascinating to me is besides you and a few other writers who are largely doing this outside of mainstream corporate media, there is zero coverage of any of this. There's very little coverage of Project 2025, of Trump's allies announcing their plans to institute religious tests if Trump is reelected. And as someone who's pitched this work to outlets before, why do you think there is this lack of interest in what seems like objectively a really big political development. So before New Hampshire, I think a lot of it was a refusal to admit that Donald Trump was obviously going to be the Republican nominee for president. Because I did notice things changed for me. Um, people became more interested in, in my work, like editors, I mean. 
um, after mm-hmm. it was clear that it wasn't DeSantis and it wasn't going to be Nikki Haley, it was going to be Trump. And I don't know if they were just holding out hope or what, um, but there was a very clear line for me in terms of response and receptiveness to my work. Um, and I, I do wonder if maybe people just really didn't realize. I mean, it was so clear. He was obviously going to be the nominee, but I guess everybody wasn't on the same page as me. And it, it is just the fact that, I mean, we see these media industry layoffs and the media is largely New York, D.C. based. A lot of them aren't doing the footwork you're doing. They're not going to these events and seeing it develop. And I think if they did that, there'd be a much clearer sense that this is a crisis. I mean, they would be writing more like you are writing and less like the sort of almost novelty way we look at it now. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think like, you know, this is like the convoy. It's like a freak show. And this too, um, you know, it really is like the fringe of the fringe. But at the end of the day, most people, like many Republicans who, you know, in 2016, I've never Trump, they voted for Trump. <laughs> And it's just going to happen again. I mean, I've already seen, you know, as soon as um, as soon as DeSantis pulled out, extremely prominent right wing influencers who had been very anti-Trump were like, oh, guess it's time to pack it up and vote for Trump. (laughs) And it's I think that is what is missing. Um, Maybe like a a lack of honesty between the journalists that are covering it and the so-called never again Trumpers who are clearly going to be all in for Trump. It certainly seems so. I mean, that that does, when you look at the media landscape, looks exactly like what it looks like. So when you get out of CPAC and take a long shower and get the Mike Lindell vibes off you, what are you hoping to cover next? Are you working on anything now? Uh, no, I'm still working on stuff about taxes, about the border, not the convoy, but just what's happening at the border, what Abbott is doing um, in Eagle Pass in particular. Uh, and I'll, I'll probably end up going back there, I would guess, uh, next month or early April. Uh, but that's kind of my focus right now. Well, it's certainly a story that has not been covered on the depth that you're covering it. So we're very lucky to have you down there doing the work. Please, you know, my God, stay safe with it, though. These people seem nuts. Uh, Amanda, we're running right up on the end of our time. So let our listeners know here where they can find you and read more of your work. Sure. So I am no turtle soup 17 on all social media platforms, threads, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever we're using nowadays. And then I also have a Substack, which is turtlediaries.net. Um, you can find some of my writing there. Amazing. Definitely go read Amanda. She is a fantastic writer. And if you see a signed Liz Truss hat, definitely pick it up for me. I uh, oh, absolutely. am still very engaged in the lettuce fight. All right, folks, that was my guest, uh, the writer and genuinely pretty fearless journalist, Amanda Moore. When we get back, more of your calls at 866-997-4748. You're listening to Progress. Stick around. Welcome back to the show, folks. Now, if you've been paying attention to the 2024 campaign so far, You'll notice there's something missing from the national conversation. We're a week out from the deadly shootings in Kansas City that killed a woman and wounded 22 others. We're seeing gun violence claiming the lives of police officers and civilians alike in Washington, D.C. 
But if you watch cable news or listen to Democrats on the campaign trail, you'll notice nobody wants to talk about guns anymore. It's pretty clear that a lot of the Beltway consultants have started telling Democrats to race toward the center, even though, as we see in poll after poll, gun safety legislation is actually some of the most popular bipartisan consensus stuff in America. More than a third of Republicans say they'd support waiting periods for guns. And supermajorities of voters now say they support universal background checks. But still, nothing. Barely a peep. Now, that seems to me like a huge gift to Republicans who can't begin to defend their inaction on this. I've written about guns for years, but I rely on the experts to tell me what's going on in the field. And that's why I'm thrilled to bring in my guest here, Nick Suplina. Nick is the senior vice president for law and policy at Everytown for Gun Safety, where he's working every day to advance the cause of gun safety in the states. He was also a longtime member of the New York State Attorney General's office, so you know he knows his stuff. Nick, thanks so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I want to jump right into this. I think we're all feeling the gun violence news in a really fresh way after these arrests in Kansas City connected to that terrible Super Bowl shooting. And now some Missouri Democrats want to put gun safety on the ballot there in November. But national Democrats seem a lot less convinced. What is, in your mind, the disconnect here? You know, I think that uh, there is a lot of room for Democrats to understand the political potency of, of gun safety. I, but, I, I, but I also think it's, it's really important to, to take stock of where we are with respect to uh, gun politics generally and Democrats on gun policy in particular. Um, you know, when I think back like 10 years after Sandy Hook, and what the state of politics and the party was then, what I see is, you know, very much uh, the NRA running circles around just about everyone, Democrats included, uh, Democrats afraid to cast a vote, uh, even on the most basic of gun uh, reform policies, and a real fear and a sense of we can't talk about this, this is a third rail even opening our mouth is uh, a form of uh, you know electoral suicide. Ten years later, we've got Democrats voting in Congress for the Safer Communities Act. In fact, all fifty Democrats, you know, voting for it in the Senate and getting fifteen Republicans along for the ride because they couldn't afford to vote no. Uh, we've got the president, you know, out here talking about uh, guns more than any other president in history and doing more on it too. But the question is, like, when does that turn into the electoral message that we see, um, uh, you know, on the airwaves? I think you're starting to see it, and I think you're seeing it more and more because you're absolutely right. This is a winning issue, and it is a very powerful way to draw a contrast uh, in a general election cycle, which we're you know just getting into now in, in 2024. Uh, but I think what you're starting to see, what we saw in the Virginia midterms, for instance, is that candidates were running gun safety ads and were outperforming on on uh, you know on crime messaging on voters that were concerned about crime, they were voting for the gun sense candidates. So we're starting to see it. I want to see it a lot more. I think it's smart politics uh, to to, you know, promote smart policy. Uh, but we, we we have a ways to go to turn it into the electoral issue. We know it we is and can be. 
There are two really great points you made there that I think a lot of people have missed is that one, Joe Biden did pass the first bipartisan gun safety legislation in a generation, safer communities, and also the 2022 election. Voters ranked gun violence their second or third priority on their on exit polls. Is it a sense here that Democrats are missing an opportunity because we are not seeing sort of a gun forward national message yet? Yeah, well, I think the president has really led on this, and and he's uh, lighting the the path for the, for the party, and obviously as the standard bearer, he should. Um, he's one of the best uh, communicators on this issue. He does not miss an opportunity to talk about the need for an assault weapons ban, the need to repeal dangerous uh, gun industry immunity laws that have been on the books for for way too long, and given the the industry a pass. Uh, and if you look at the gun, you know the DNC platform, it's come a long way too. From a kind of tail between your legs, you know, uh, we, you know, swearing fealty to the Second Amendment uh, to like really bold and really strong on the policy. But, you know, again, I, I think your point is is well taken. I think that there's um, a political class that you know, where old habits die hard. Uh, it's not 2005 anymore. It's 2024. We've got an epidemic of gun violence that is felt across the country. 58% of Americans or, or somebody that is in their care have experienced gun violence directly. That's your voters. Um, and so I think to get this into the sort of, you know, electoral conversation more, folks should follow the president's lead who came out swinging against Donald Trump a couple of weeks ago when he showed up yep. at the NRA event, right? He he held, he's like, you're boasting about not doing anything after Parkland, right? Like, they could learn a lot from the way the president, who, by the way, has been fighting on this issue for three decades uh, or more, yep. right? He really understands how to take a swing and how to turn the good policy into good politics. It takes a while to trickle down. There, there are definitely examples I could point to of folks who are embracing us as an electoral message. But yeah, your point is well taken. And, and I do think, uh, I think we're going to see it. I think by the time we get to the, the general in contested seats, uh, we're going to see uh, Democrats finding their voice on this issue. Now you and look, if we don't yeah. shame on this because they're losing moderate voters. They're losing the very the very people that they need to get that you know to get a majority in in many districts across the country. This is how you get those coveted you know center center right voters. We know that we know that from the polls, and so they should. Uh, and if they don't, then they're playing an old playbook and and deserve what they get. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, you look at Pew polling and those moderate independent voters, 60 to 70 percent of them, depending on the issue, support Biden's policies. You mentioned Parkland, though, and that's something that I'm seeing in the news again, because after the Parkland shooting in 2018, Florida passed laws raising the age to buy a rifle to 21 and putting in a law that, that said you have to wait until a background check actually gets back to see if the person is actually able to own a gun. Now we're seeing Florida state legislature is trying to repeal those now and saying it doesn't matter if the background check actually gets back to the person. If it's not back in three days, give them the gun. Are you following this Florida situation? And what does this mean for the broader gun debate? 
Well, I'm very much following uh, what's going on in Florida and, you know, they're going to have to get through uh, a lot of moms demand action volunteers if they're going to pass these bills and and we hope to stop them. And that's a big part of what we do, you know, at, at every town and, and moms is is fight the, the defensive fights uh, in states across the country that are just going the wrong direction uh, on on gun safety. And honestly, for who it's not clear, you know, who uh, the Republicans in Florida are trying to win over um, when they when they're repealing really popular laws, by the way, um, uh, in, in Florida. It's just catering to a sliver of the uh, Republican far right uh, you know, base. And even they aren't that motivated on these issues. Um, but nevertheless, it's in the zeitgeist. It's kind of in the bloodstream. And we have to fight those bills because, you know, the gun lobby still does have sway. Uh, this is an issue that is very much part of that kind of right wing culture war um, uh zeitgeist like i said and and mm -hmm. so it's it's just like they're checking off boxes you know they're like how how can we go more extreme on choice how can we go more extreme on guns how can we be more anti-woke it's like in the it's in their uh like right in their in their talking points and so they feel duty bound to do it they're they're satisfying no one um and it we're not just seeing that in florida although florida is a very special place uh politically especially for the gun lobby um that has always been very strong there but uh you know the the answer our answer is you know you got to come through us if you're going to get if you're going to repeal those laws yeah florida is going to have no books but plenty of guns so there's always that now <laughs> even though congress and federal legislation is really bogged down you're working in the states I'm curious what you've seen. Uh, some of these big victories that haven't made national headlines, what are you working on and what has inspired you lately? Uh, yeah, you know, 2023. So 2022, we talked about the Safer Communities Act, right? First meaningful federal gun safety legislation in, in a generation. And as somebody who also needs to look at all 50 states, I'm thinking, okay, like, that, does that take the wind out of the sails of gun safety? Do do state legislators, even in 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 places that are friendly to our issue, are they going to say, okay, you know, we've checked that box? Well, 2023 was our most successful legislative session in history. Um, passed literally hundreds of laws, uh, from foundational laws to really. Um, uh, creative new approaches, uh, finding new frontiers in in the in the gun safety fight, and that gives me a lot of hope because I'm starting to see what the next chapter of the movement really looks like. Um, there is, I think, no better example of uh, a turnaround state than than Michigan, where mm -hmm. you've got a state that was run by gun extremists for <laughs> a long time uh, that invited literal like insurrectionists into the state capitol to carry open and and armed and even a state that saw the you know attempted kidnapping of their governor by by uh, extremists to you know uh, the shooting uh, in Oxford the shooting at MSU really galvanizing the state yeah. um, moms demand action uh, uh, candidates running for office and other gun sense candidates running for office and flipping the chambers in Michigan. And just last week, uh, four 
foundational gun safety laws went into effect uh, in Michigan on the uh, anniversary, second anniversary of the Oxford shooting, secure storage, expanded background checks, uh, domestic violence uh, pre- uh, prohibitors. It, it's it's a tale of what how powerful this issue can be, um, how it can change the outcome of elections. And then when we do, you know, win uh, at the at the ballot box, we win in the legislature too. That that's a that's a a great story out of the states. But it's really not the only one. Um, I can point to uh, Minnesota, which similarly, you know, again, actual gun safety advocates running for office flipped. Mm-hmm a key chamber in Minnesota, which led to, um, you know, the governor signing the first gun safety bill in that state in, I, I, I think nine years. Um, right. So those are, that's where the, the fight is in the States. Uh, we, we have known that for some time now we're getting stronger there and we're getting wins both, you know, like I said, at the ballot box and then in legislatures as well. Um, the other pl- that's incredible. The, yeah, I it, it really I, the, these if you want if your listeners are looking for inspiration, look no further than Moms Demand Action volunteers who have are some of the best advocates in the country, some of the best trained grassroots organizers in the country, saying, you know what, I I'm really really good at convincing lawmakers to pass good laws, but I'm so good at I'm going to run for, for office myself, <laughs> and I'm just going to write the laws myself. Uh, I love it. That is, that's the foundation of it. If you're just joining me, you're listening to Tell Me Everything. I'm talking to my guest, Everytown for Gun Safety, Senior Vice President for Law and Policy, Nick Suplina. Nick, I cut you off a minute there, but I actually want to dig deeper into that because I'm curious. I want to get nerdy about the theory of change here. You guys have set up uh, these demand to seat boot camps that are basically grassroots training at its purest. And they're actually putting people forward who are serious viable gun safety candidates. Tell our listeners a little about that. Yes, I, I'm so happy to because it is it's a source of such optimism for us. And it's it it really is um I think a model for for how to make change. It is part of our theory of change. You know, we we often say um you know uh we demand that that uh lawmakers uh you know pass gun safety laws or else, you know, that's the end of the road. We're going to vote them out, you know, either do the right thing or find a new job. Uh, And the newest addition, though, to that theory of change is, and you know who will replace you with? Our own volunteers. Um, And so the Demand a Seat program, uh, which launched in 2021, um, has been this boot camp for folks that are already involved in the Moms Demand Action um, volunteer network. Uh, so they're, all, like I said, already very well trained and, and very knowledgeable on, on state legislative process and and mm-hmm. government generally. And it's just been this enormous success. Um, we've had 254 volunteers that have won office since uh, 2021. So just in the last three years, we've got a hell of a win rate uh, of the almost 100 volunteers that won last year uh, at you know the state or local level, 59% uh, won. Um, and, th- and that's across 24 different states. So we, it's a broad uh, program and it's, it's really uh, an inspiration. 
And it's amazing to see the folks that were, you know, once gathered around a kitchen table talking about an advocacy day, now having uh, those same volunteers in their office, uh, you know, as an as a state senator or as a you know member of a, a city council. It, it's really extraordinary to see. And correct me if I'm wrong, but some of these people in this program are also survivors of mass shootings. Yeah, that's right. And we have a lot of survivors in our network generally, and some are, you know, uh, part of the Everytown Survivors Network. One of the things that happens in, in that um, program is really turning your pain um, into in, uh, into passion and into your mission. And so that story is really important. You know, the, the Moms Demand, uh, the Demand a Seat program really is modeled off of the story of Lucy McBath. Um, Lucy is uh, was a, uh, a a Moms Demand Action volunteer, later an, an Everytown um, spokesperson, and she lost her son Jordan uh, in a really senseless uh, shooting, and it turned her into an activist uh, first, and later it turned her into a congresswoman from uh, Georgia, and she's now in Congress. She is a gun sense yep. champion in Congress, and that trajectory. Now, Lucy is one in a million. Uh, not everybody is as passionate and incredible an advocate as Lucy McBath, but it really was the sort of the the, the storyline that we want to repeat a hundred, a thousand more times uh, across the country at every level of government, um, and that survivor story that gets a lot of people, you know, into the movement, sadly, uh, really, um, later mm. becomes their purpose and, and and their message as they run for office. So how can other people, if we have listeners out there that want to get involved in this, how can they take that first step? I know it can seem really intimidating sometimes to wade into a debate this big. Uh, what is your advice for that first critical step? First critical step is text ACT to 64433. Um, we totally understand that, especially on an issue like gun violence, it feels, it feels, and because it is such a big daunting issue. But the fact is that if everybody takes a small step, um, we make it very easy to get involved at whatever level, uh, you know, you want to get involved in. That could be just learning more and getting on the, you know, the email list. It could be contributing. It could be joining a mom's demand action chapter and then later running one and then later running for office. And you don't know today whether you're going to be running for office as a demand a seat candidate five years from now. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people who are in office right now who didn't know <laughs> that's where they were going to end up. Uh, but this is a, a, a community of people who have just about had it with the way we approach uh uh, gun violence in this country. It's a it's an extraordinary community of inspiring people. And all you need to do is take that first step. We'll get you plugged in right away. There's effort, there's um opportunities to uh you know engage in online activism. We often have um uh campaigns that are trying to collect either signatures or write letters to Congress or make phone calls in the run-up to elections. Um, which again, our moms uh, just do so professionally, so well. Um, I think we generated in the Safer Communities Act fight 10 million contacts uh, with uh, Senate and, and, and House targets. 
Um, and so there's so many different ways to get involved. The most important thing is to get involved and to recognize that this is an issue uh, where you can really make a difference, uh, where your voice uh, does matter, despite it being so intractable and despite it feeling so daunting. I think people really need to hear that, that their voice can make a difference. I mean, I see something that every town is involved in in Tennessee here, this bill that's moving forward today requiring age-appropriate gun safety training. And this is something that you guys have persuaded Republicans to work with you on, something that we've heard for decades is impossible. And in the couple minutes we have left, I'm curious what the next couple real highlights for you are. What are the states you're looking at where you see big things coming for gun rights and gun safety? You know, um, I, I, I think we're going to see action this uh, session in New Mexico taking real uh, steps. Uh, I think we're going to see, I think all eyes are on Maine, um, where after the Lewiston mass shooting, mm-hmm. it's a very different tenor in the Maine legislature than it was uh, before. Um, and while while he's not in the Maine legislature, you know, watching uh, Representative Golden, uh, who represents the area that Lewiston is in, um, a Democrat, after that shooting say, you know, I've been on the wrong side of history here. I have to get on the right side. I support an assault weapons ban. Really signaled to folks back home in Maine that this is the right thing to do. And you know, we're going to we're going to be talking about assault weapons uh, and uh, in in Maine, which would have been unthinkable just a couple of years ago, along with waiting periods and and other gun safety bills. Uh, I like I like our odds of making progress in Maine, um, and it's it, it, again it's another sign of hope in a state that has been really um, uh, difficult uh, because you know uh, we we just have to get our foothold uh, there. Um, I I think it's worth looking at Virginia because you know some of your earlier comments about uh, sort of where where this comes up politically. We're going to mm-hmm. send to the governor's desk a slew of gun safety bills uh, because, and this is a great stat I think you'll you'll appreciate, because 20% of the Virginia House are now Moms Demand Action volunteers who have That's incredible. And one. So we're 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 moving we're moving bills uh, in Virginia. Now Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin, it'll be decision time for him. You know, how much does he like uh governing a very purple state like Virginia where vetoing bills on gun safety is not going to make him very popular and it's going to make it very hard for him to govern. So we'll see. I'm not making predictions there, but what I know is that, you know, it will be on Governor Yunkin to do the right thing. We're going to hold him accountable if he doesn't. Well, I, I hope someday we can get together and talk about this in the past tense as a problem that's solved. But until then, I'm glad we have you fighting for it. In just a couple seconds we've got, let listeners know how they can find you and learn more about your work. Yeah, so uh, you know uh, we are online at everytown.org. Uh, it is a, a website that can teach you everything you need to know about gun safety and, and how to get involved uh, in the fight. Um, and as I mentioned, text ACT to six four four three three, and you'll get plugged right in and you know join our ten million supporters that are fighting uh, every day for gun safety. Thank you so much, Nick. Promise me you'll come back and give us an update on this. It will be my pleasure. Amazing. That was my guest, Everytown for Gun Safety, Senior Vice President for Law and Policy, Nick Suplina. Go check out his work. 
Now, we're going to be taking a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to wrap up our time together on this lovely Wednesday night. You're listening to Tell Me Everything. 